1: become a writer from someplace other than Los Angeles and New York, I still think that's really difficult.
0: Welcome to the Entertainment Business Wisdom Podcast with your hosts, Kaya Alexander and Sylvia Franklin.
2: I am Kaya Alexander. I'm so excited to be here today with my special guest, Linda Burston. Hi, Linda.
1: Hi, Kaya. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here with you. I'm, I'm really little- impressed by what you're doing.
2: Oh, Thank you. I'm so stoked that you have some time for us today to talk to us about the business side of the entertainment business. Um, You have so much experience. You've had such an interesting career. And uh, I just want to talk to you to start off with about how you got interested in the entertainment business and what what drew you to um, start. You had been writing uh, speeches, right, for the Clintons. You moved toward entertainment. So tell me about that.
1: Well, I started in politics and um, I worked for a number of places in politics. Uh, in, in, the last big one was I was deputy campaign manager for Clinton Gore f- for California and in charge of the written material for his inaugural. Um, and yes, I've written about a thousand political speeches for politicians and celebrities giving political talks. You name the celebrity, I've written a speech for him or her. Um, And I decided, oh, then I went and I was the writer producer for Ted Koppel at Nightline. Um, I did that for three years. I won an Emmy doing that. Um, And then I uh, did some other journalism, including, and this was pivotal, a year-long investigation of female genital mutilation in the United States. I don't know if I've mentioned that to you before.
2: Great, U.S.
1: Yes, it's great dinner conversation.
2: <laughs> <All right. laughs> I recommend it. It breaks the ice. Um, you know quickly where people stand on the issue. <laughs>
1: it's, you know, I just think if you can't talk about vaginas over dinner, what's the conversation about, you know? <laughs> so... Um, It was so depressing that I, after that, I was like, I have to do something that puts a smile on my face. What would I like to do? So I decided to write comedy. Um, So I wrote a Seinfeld script out of nowhere and sent it to Los Angeles to uh, a friend of mine. And he sent it to some agents and I got some meetings. And I thought, you know what? I am gonna do this because while I was writing that script, I laughed the whole time. I was like cracking myself up. Um, So it was a really fun uh, experience. And I've done that for the last 20 years, Uh, mostly. Sometimes I still do journalism. Sometimes I still do speeches, but almost primarily uh, TV writing. And yeah, it's been great.
2: Since you've been in this space for a while, tell me a little bit about how it's changed and how it's evolved. Uh, over the last 20
1: years? Oh, it really, really has changed quite a bit. Um, in the background, you will see first my son and now my dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so one of the big changes is, of course, there's a lot more outlets when I first started, it really, you know, there were like five and now there are a lot more. So that's a really good thing. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot more product. It, uh, It is not quite as incredibly competitive as it was, although it is still incredibly competitive. It is you think, you know, you turn on the television, you see all everything that's on Netflix and you think, wow, it must be really easy to get something on the air. No, it is not. (laughs) It's not easy and it's not easy to get staffed on a show. It's all really competitive because everyone from around the world wants to do this thing. So, um, Remind me your question again.
2: Yeah, talking about just how it's evolved and changed from from then to now. So that's a big difference. So
1: with the number of of, uh, outlets, there's more opportunity and there's also more breadth of what you can do. So that's all excellent. The other way it's really changed is for women. When I was getting started, and for a long time, it was really hard to get staffed as a woman. Um, I can't tell you how many times my agent said to me, uh, you know, oh, this show has an opening, but they're not hiring women. This show has an opening, but they're not hiring women. I mean, it was known There was no secret about it. Shows did not hire women. When I got hired on NCIS in what year was it? I can't remember what year it was. There were 10 writers on staff and one chair for a woman. And so nine men and one woman. And it was, no, this this is the we will hire one woman, and one woman only. And the reason is because there was a woman in the cast, even though they really did not want to give her much of a storyline. They wanted to be able to kind of say they have a woman on staff. Um, and that was just blatant. I mean, there's nothing you could do about it. When I d- tell people about that, they say, why don't you say something? I'm like, who should I tell, the police? Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody knew and nobody cared. Um, and it was also just, you know, really, uh, it was up to the woman on the staff to figure out how to be okay in that kind of environment. So like my first day, for example, at NCIS, the showrunner called us all into his office. Again, my first day, I'm one woman. There are nine guys um, who've all been there. I was the new one. And he wanted to show us his favorite YouTube video, which was of uh, two men playing chopsticks on the piano with their penises.
2: Oh, my god. And I knew uh, there was a penis joke in there somewhere.
1: (laughs) God. And somehow he thought that was a good idea. I mean, uh, the other thing that happened was that the guys kind of, that was around the time that friends, um, had, uh, there was that lawsuit about friends on, you know, on harassment, sexual harassment on friends. And, um, so the guys were worried about saying things in front of me That I might get offended by. I'm a big believer in you should say anything you want in a writer's room. It should be a real kind of free zone. And I'm also not offended. Uh, You know, I have all my friends growing up were guys. You know, I have three brothers. There's not a lot anyone can ever say that offends me. And, um, and, they, But they decided since I, it was nine guys and me, they had to be careful what they said around me. So when I walked in the room, they would stop talking often. So it was, anyway, not a great experience. And a lot of women, friends of mine who were TV writers had really rough experiences. Um,
2: like lone wolfing through that era.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, now there are a lot more women in charge of shows, and uh, and you will often be on a staff where it's half women. It's wonderful, it's great, and the age the ageism has gotten a little better too.
2: And, it really? Oh, I was going to ask you about that.
1: Yeah, it used to be like really a business for twenty year olds and some thirty year olds, and now. People work in their forties and fifties, and gosh, the yeah. I even know the current showrunners of NCIS. I think are he's. I think he's in his seventies.
2: Is there anyone staffing in the writers' room though? Like under like who, who's over forty, or is it mostly like those jobs go to showrunners? What have you been seeing? No, they they do staff. Yeah, yeah. they do. Oh, that's fantastic! That does sound like it is getting better based on the last couple of years. And yeah. let's talk about how the writers' rooms are evolving and changing, even with COVID in place. speculation about, you know, are going back to full in-person? Are some rooms going to stay virtual, hybrid? What are you seeing?
1: Well, that's a good question. Um, I was on a show last year during COVID. And so we went from being in-person to being on Zoom. And um, I'm not on a show right now. What I'm hearing is that, you know, it's going to go back to being in-person. You know, you need it in Right. It's much better in person. So um, but I think my guess is there will be some flexibility um, sometimes. But it's uh, for writers, it's just much better to be in person when you're when you're breaking stories.
2: The Los Angeles will stay the epicenter, you think, then of TV, because if you go back to the in-person, there's not going to be like virtual staffing opportunities if you're elsewhere, huh?
1: Yeah. I do think so. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And I, I think it makes sense um, because it does make such a difference to be in person. And then the other thing is if someone wants to work in this business, you know, you got to be where the jobs are Mm -hmm. and you got to meet people, you get your jobs by meeting people and by, uh, having a lot of meetings, and the, it's often a casual thing. Um, I got my first job from someone I met while I was working. There, there's a, a worker's room for Writers Guild members at the Writers Guild, and there's also a library at the Writers Guild in Los Angeles where you can bring your laptop and work and I used it as my office. I used the writer's room. Uh, I was already a writer's guild member because of my work at nightline. Um, I used the writer's guild as an office. I went there every day, like nine to five. And, uh, when I first moved to LA and one of, and made friends with people who were doing the same thing, one of them had a show and he hired me on that show. So you've got to You just gotta be out here, you gotta meet people, gotta go to events here.
2: Will you tell us about the advantages of the WGA and like for anyone who's like, oh, I wanna join the WGA, what do you suggest? Um, It is the most amazing thing to have an
1: entity that it solely exists to support you as a writer. Um, They have continuing education, they fight for you when you are um, having problems with your employer. They set the minimums um, so that we are paid well, as we should be. Um, they are, you know, to have anybody looking out for you in this world is, is amazing. And they really do a fantastic job. And, oh, and healthcare fantastic healthcare. But you, um, you have to work to be a member. You have to have a certain number of hours. I don't know uh, or make a certain amount of money. I think it's like $45,000 in a year, something like that. And then they'll contact you. You'll be, you become a member. The membership fee, I don't remember what it is. Um, and then you pay every year a percentage of your income.
2: Right. They have a pension too, don't they? Set up for members. Pension. That's
1: amazing. A really great pension. Yeah, which the studios uh, pay into. Wow. So you don't pay for that pension. That's
2: so cool. It is cool.
1: It is. Yeah, and it can start at. You can start drawing it down. I think at fifty-five, if you want to. It's it's one of the best pensions it is the best pension of any, um, entertainment
2: guild. Wow. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Let's talk about deal flow. Let's talk about how, how do things sell? When do you get paid? And you produce also on, on some of your shows. So you've been writer's room, you're producing You're show running, talk to us about the deal flow and, and where you end up getting paid and a little bit about step deals. If you want to step into that. (laughs)
1: Okay. Well, first of all, one of the things that's really important to know is that writers are producers. So in television, um, something people don't understand often is the uh, writer's titles on TV shows. Um, really briefly, it's, let me see if I get this right. It is staff writer, story editor, executive story editor, co-producer, producer, producer, um, consulting producer, co-executive producer, executive producer. Those are all writers. And those are all um, different amounts of money in Writers Guild minimums. And uh, Mm -hmm. typically, you kind of have to go through these steps season to season. Sometimes, um, like I have repeated many, many, many of them, many, many, many times. <laughs> sometimes you get stuck. If the show you're on does not get, typically if you're on a show for like five seasons, oh my God, that's never happened to me. That'd be really nice. Um, but if you're on a show for a number of seasons, each season you get bumped. Oh, um, so sometimes what happens if you, If your show does not get picked up or you do not continue on that show, sometimes you have to repeat a level on the next show you're on um, and the next. and I mean, it can be never-ending. And then some people somehow manage to just leap over a bunch of levels. So um, that's one thing that's important to realize. When you're on a show and you get paid, a certain portion of your payment is considered writer, and a certain portion of your payment is considered producer after you get to the level of co-producer. The co-producer level, uh, the co-producer portion of your fee does not uh, count in the Writers Guild uh, um, total. So that amount does not also go towards your health care or your pension or anything like that. Um, But you also don't pay a writer's guild percentage. Hmm. Um, We would all, and I know I would rather it go to, it all be writer's fee because you want your pension to be bigger and you want to hold on to your health care as long as you can, because writers often don't work every year. And so you want to build up points so that you can have a few years. But anyway, that is that is how that works. Um, generally speaking, writers are on, in TV are producers. Depends on the show, but typically, the writer is the boss on set. The head writer, the showrunner, is the ultimate boss on the set, but often on shows I've been on, certainly, the showrunner is very busy doing a lot of things. So um, the writer of that episode will be on set during the shooting of of that person's episode and is in charge of everything. So talking to the director about what they want, you know, I'll say me, what I want from a certain scene, what the actors should be doing, the costumes, the, uh, what the set looks like. Um, The actors will come to me um, to ask questions about lines or about anything. So um, the writer is the producer on set. There are shows where that is not true and then there are shows where that is 100% sh- true and if anything goes wrong it's also that writer's fault you know you're really responsible it's a big it's a big part of the job and it's fun it's a lot of fun it's like um, i always think of it as it's like being in charge of a high school play with a whole lot of money and
2: really <laughs> So you will have written that episode, then it goes into production, it's being shot, you're on set and like another writer's working on another episode so that it's rolling in that way while it's in production, while the show's in production?
1: Yes, it is a, um, it's, it's like a factory.
2: Do you get, talk about when you get paid, uh, and in terms of when you, okay, you've, you've staffed or you've sold something, um, I'm curious that and then I'll and I have another follow up question, too. Yeah.
1: So that's a question I get a lot. So first of all, when you're staffed, that's great. You get a salary. You get paid every week. It's like a job. Um, It's really good. And um, and the Writers Guild makes sure you get paid. So that's really wonderful. Um, And you get paid. Typically. After Staff Writer, Staff Writer, you get paid a weekly fee. I don't know what it is right now. Um, after that, and certainly once you become a producer, the uh, you get paid per episode produced. And that's a deal that you make at the beginning of your employment. Mm-hmm. So... Um,
2: is that, an, is that a deal that gets made, like your attorney is positioning that, your rep is positioning that? Who's making that deal on your behalf?
1: Your attorney or your agent. Mm-hmm. Your manager is not allowed to make deals. Um, right now, for example, I have a manager and an attorney, and I don't have an agent because I fired my agent during the whole dust up, and I haven't gotten one again. So um, the, you get paid per episode, So let's say um, it's a 10-episode season and you made a deal that you are going to get $8,000 an episode. So you get paid per episode, produced. In addition to that, for any episode you write, you get paid an episodic writing fee. Um, Currently... I think it's around $35,000. And so in addition to, you know, what will be, if you get $8,000 an episode, there's 10 episodes, that's $80,000. And then let's say you write two episodes for that season. That's another 70. I'm good at math. Uh, That's another 70. And then by the way, depending on which um, streamer you sign with, after the first episode, after your episode gets rerun, you get your entire episodic fee again. Oh, wow. And then the second time it's rerun, you get half the episodic fee.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So 35 again, and then half of 35 the next time. Anyway... This is why people like residuals. Well,
2: and then and there's like a syndication clause in the contract also, if it goes into syndication.
1: Yeah, I, yes, I don't pay attention to that, but yes, I'm sure it is there and, um, you know, it really helps if you're, uh, you know, if you're the showrunner, especially as, you know, I get a residual check, I have no idea where it comes from, all I know is I'm really happy when I get a green envelope in the mail. It sort of feels like free money, you know, you never know. And sometimes it's on a show, you know, I worked on 10 years ago and I'm like, oh my God, thank you.
2: Um, That's amazing.
1: Yeah, so that's uh, really fun. We play a game in my household where uh, if I get a green envelope, all the kids get to guess. What the amount is, and if they come within five dollars, they get the amount of the check. They never—they've got to guess. <laughs> Actually, my son once—once my son did once, and it was like fifty dollars. Uh, but sometimes it's two dollars. <laughs> sometimes it's uh, eight hundred dollars. Sometimes it's a couple thousand dollars. You know, but often it's like five dollars. You know, it's you—you you don't know what it's going to be. Uh, awesome. you're, but the other question is okay. So that's the easy part of getting paid. The hard part of getting paid is the business I'm in at the moment, which is the selling shows business. Yes. So as I mentioned to you earlier, uh, when before we got on line, the um, I'm at various. I'm in three various stages on three various shows, actually four, but okay. These three I'm actively involved with. I have a deal with one studio that lays out and this was a deal that took four months between their business affairs and my my lawyer working out in great detail and it lays out exactly how much I get paid per episode. I'll be the showrunner. Um what I get paid in the back end, every little fee is worked out. And then but now we're going to go pitch it to streaming services. You know, hopefully HBO, Showtime, Netflix, Amazon,
2: Did you get paid for like an option on that?
1: It is all what they call if come, which means if we sell it, the money comes. Mm. Um, There is no money. And I'm quite sure that uh, writers who have more clout than I have get paid before this point. Um, But all the writers I know, don't, Mm. Uh, not until you sell it. So one of the really bad things about being a writer is that, you know, and I had a show I sold to FX a few years ago and during the the development process took a couple of years and I'd be sitting around the table with my producers who are very big producers I won't mention their names. And uh, Sony was my studio. And they'd be giving me notes on my pitch. And, you know, I had 10 episodes worked out. It was a historical thing. And um, I worked on it a lot hundreds of hours. Everyone around that table, this is before I sold it to FX. Everyone around that table was getting paid; they're getting salaries, except for me. I don't get anything until we sell it to a streamer.
2: Well, Once you, you think of a studio as the buyer, and or you know they're like a bank type of entity, and in that instance, how are they functioning? If you were looking to sell it to a different outlet,
1: they are the bank. I had to make a deal with them. Um, they. But the writer does not get paid until it sells. Wow. That is typically true. So, yeah, some things, you know, uh, this thing I'm working on right now that I just signed a deal with MGM, um, you know, I really think it is going to sell, but, you um, I've interviewed 15 people, some of them dozens of times. Um, It took a long, it's a real story. It took a long time to pull it together. I have all 10 episodes worked out, um, not written, but worked out. It is a tight uh, pitch. Um, And I don't get anything unless we sell it. If we don't sell it, It is zero.
2: Wow. Yeah. So you need a war chest to just get through from one place to the next, not knowing when that, when the paycheck is coming in that instance, did you write the pilot on spec? It was a passion project for you, or did you get paid in some instance to do that? This current one? The one that you were just talking about. When
1: I was just talking about the one I sold to MGM, I've not written the pilot. Okay. I wrote the... It took all this time. It takes as long to write a pitch as to write a pilot. Because when you write the pitch, you describe the pilot in great detail. So you really have to have the pilot worked out. And then you have to describe the whole season.
2: And then what further seasons are. If It's, it's like a, a Bible. When you say write the pitch, it's like that's the, the Bible? Or Yeah, I have. Because you hear words like treatment. Bible, one page, and then, of course, we have the whole pitch deck world that's fairly new from the era that I was a development exec. So I'm curious about those documents that sell it. The pitch
1: is can't be longer than 20 minutes, more or less. So that's basically a 10-page document. Okay. Um, I have... A fifty-page document that I created in order to write the ten-page document. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So once we sell this thing and we move forward, the good news is a lot of the work has been done. So that's the good news. Um, The truth is, I am on like I say, various stages with these various things right now. And the minute I have free time, I am going to start writing that pilot. I never do that. The reason I am going to do that is because when I pitch it to a streamer, and this is a 10-episode limited series, while I do know what it is, and I have every detail in there, it changes so much. When you, when you start to write something, you get to really know it. So I'm going to start to write it for my own sake, just so that I really get into, I'm really, I have a little bit of some questions about tone, and I'll, I can't really answer those questions until I get into it. I mean, I can answer them, but I won't know it deeply until i get into the writing of it
2: until you're actually the words on the script yeah yeah so for for you at your stage of this of your career are you functioning as a 1099 contractor or do you like have an llc who who how did you create your business entity
1: i have a production company
2: you have a production company yeah
1: and i've had one for quite a while but, you know, you've got to talk to an a, a accountant about whether that's a good idea or not. It just depends on it's a tax question. Yeah. Now you're getting to the math of it all.
2: No, I was just curious because it's a question that comes up a lot at various stages for writers saying, well, I'm really passionate about this. I have a lot of content. Do I need a production company? When do I need a production company? And it seems like it's cumbersome until you're actually at the stage of your career at which you, you know, you need an entity like that. It's,
1: It's a money, it's a numbers game. Yeah. You know, at a certain number, you, it benefits you. It makes more sense. And then, at, you know, before then, you're just, it costs more than it benefits you. Yeah, for so sure. Again, it's something to talk to uh, an accountant about.
2: How'd you find your attorney?
1: My manager um, recommended him, and um, he's a really big attorney. And um, I just, this deal that he worked out is the first time I have uh worked with him. And, um, I, you know, he's so busy. Um, I will see if that's like a good thing that he's such a big attorney or not a good thing. <laughs> it's so, it's so busy, So, yeah. you know, it's hard to, yeah. So we'll see, we'll see how that works. Yeah. It's really important that, I mean, If I had it to do over again, I think, um, you know, it's so hard to get an agent, so hard to get a really good agent. And what does it mean to have a really good agent? What is a good agent? Good agent is someone who gets you a lot of work. Um, My current manager is a really good manager in that she is constantly putting opportunities in front of me. Mm. She, uh, I never had, I've had her now for a couple of years, year and a half. And um, she, like we'll say, this place is looking for a writer to create a show about this subject. Does that interest you? I, I never had I, someone come to me with that kind of thing before, typically what you will hear from uh writers is that they have to get their own jobs yep, and that is a it does really um, happen a lot, but I've mostly gotten my jobs through my representatives. Mm-hmm.
2: It sounds like your manager is really well connected that she knows what's happening where, and what you would be good for. And I, you know, we hear a lot of stories too about, well, I have a manager and an agent and they're not putting me up for stuff or I'm not getting the work that I was hoping I would get with those reps.
1: Yeah. I would. I would say it's so important. I mean, you know, I feel like I could have done, certain things that I wasn't doing along the way uh, because of my representatives. And there I had one who I loved for so long and I love him so much and I still do. Um, and he just wasn't really that interested in the business as it turns out. And um, yeah, so we had to part ways and it was so hard to fire him because I love him. I and mean, he's a friend. He became a friend
2: mm.
1: and um and like a brother. So then I had to say, it's just not working out, you know? So, um and it's scary because you don't know if you're going to get something better or worse. So I've let go of a couple people over the year, three. And it's always been a good thing, but it's always been hard.
2: Yeah. I left one of my agents, my book agent one oh, yeah. of them in New York. We just were not the right chemistry, a uh, really powerful woman, really powerful agent. And I just had the most awful gut feeling about it. And I didn't like the way I was being treated. And at the end of the day, I was like, you know, life's too short to be treated poorly. And I'd rather find someone with whom I'm, I'm the better fit. Uh, and it was, you know, it was a couple of years of being cut adrift after making that decision, but I never regretted it.
1: Yeah, it's so hard. And the book industry, man, wow, I've had a little bit of those agents are tough, tough, tough. <laughs> My God. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's... Um, That's what I would say about that. I can't remember. I don't know if I've answered.
2: No, it's also helpful and really, really interesting. Just you know, the perspective of how do you work? How do you keep working? You know, avoid that mid-career stall. And it sounds like you have the two pillars of being staffed and working in the writer's room, and then also teeing up your own projects, different places that are at various stages of getting those off the ground and like really going. Um, And on the backside of those, it sounds like that would take a couple years. Each project would take a few years, but you have several going at the same time in various stages so that you can keep the wheels turning.
1: Look, the dream is, and look, most of your people are new, right? Mm -hmm. So the dream is get on a great show. Have a wonderful mentor in your your showrunner i mean that's the dream people i know who managed to do that and i i've never done that people i know who've managed to do that you know that person nurtures you brings you up leaves and does another show takes you with them i mean it's like you know writer's heaven um Otherwise, you're scrambling, you know, how many shows have I been on that didn't go to a second season? Or I've been on a couple shows where we wrote all the episodes and then the show fell apart. Yeah. never got aired, which is fine in terms of you get paid anyway. But it is not fine in that... Um, you know, it's, makes a, it's not as good for your career. It's good for your career to be on a show that's recognized and well-regarded. Not good for your career. It's not bad, but it's not helpful for your career to be on a show that never airs. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So that's happening.
2: Does it end up on your IMDB or no? Oh,
1: so I've been on, you know, I've, been on two shows. This last show I was on, and it's because of coronavirus, things got messed up with the production schedule. The the, uh, staff at Netflix changed. You may have heard a few months ago. And apparently the new folks at Netflix are not as keen on this show. So now because the production got pushed because of coronavirus, now it may not get shot at all. And it was a very high level kind of everyone was excited about this show. It was like a big show to get on. So um, in this other show I was on, it was like a big deal show, also, this was for NBC. And we wrote all the episodes, and the showrunner was a first time showrunner. He was fantastic guy, an amazing writer, but uh, for whatever reason, it fell apart, and um, the show never got shot.
2: Didn't go into production.
1: Yeah, so that can happen. So the thing that you want, people, is get on staff. That's the dream. (laughs) You get on staff, and you work really hard there is nothing when you're on staff it's like a gift Um, it's an opportunity to further your career your job when you're on staff is to get your next job so everything you do has to be doing an excellent 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 job on that job and making friends with as many people on that staff and around that staff as possible. The uh, writer's assistant on that show will be your next boss. You never know. Everybody, uh, you know, people help people who they like and want to help and, I think back on some of the things I did early on that I thought were a good idea, and I kind of can't believe it, because I don't know. Um, (laughs) You really have to be, um, have a lot of humility and work your ass off and turn in work that is not good or good enough, but like, the most excellent thing anybody's ever read. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, it's how do you do that? Well, you have other people read your work, get help, even when you think it's good, make it better. Um, pay someone to read it and give you advice if you have to. It just, you have to do. Excellent work. (laughs) I know that sounds, you know, I'm writing a uh, spec script right now. I've been working on it for four months. And um, I thought it was done like two weeks ago. And I gave it to my manager and she read it and she had, she was like, you know what, the first 30 pages are kind of slow. I thought, she is wrong. You know, but then I took another look at it, and then I had a friend of mine who's a big reader of mine read it, and he said, "You know what would make it, you know, lose this scene, which of course was a scene that I loved, lose this scene, and it will really flow much faster." And he was right. I lost the scene. I mean, I had to do a complete rewrite because it restructured everything. Of
2: course. But the murder, murder your darlings, the dreaded murder, your darlings. (laughs) You have
1: to have absolutely no compunction about killing your babies, they say you. um, You know, story, story, story. And then now I'm going through it and making sure is this like when I finish reading this scene. Is this like, oh, my God, I can't wait to see what happens You wanna feel like you can't wait to see what happens after you write a scene. And Mm -hmm. every scene should feel that way. And if it doesn't quite, ask yourself, what is missing from the scene emotionally or dramatically?
2: Do you make conscious decisions about the emotional beats of your scenes, like how you come in and how you go out on what tone? Yes.
1: And sometimes after I write a first draft, what I will do is I'll go back and put like in my current script, there's uh, there are a few people, obviously, uh, but there's a couple that's the main character. And what I did was I went back and did index cards on each scene therein and wrote one line, what the emotional trajectory was in that scene mm-hmm. and then I looked at how it lined up and I'm like you know what it's not really clear enough so in this like fifth scene I should they should really st- be starting to fall in love again instead of still having a problem and because then they're going to fall off at the end mm-hmm. so I re- where do I I was building it up a little too early I should build it up later you know I go through and analyze and
2: and is that a different mindset for you than your creator when you come back to it and analyze it in that like editor hat? Yeah.
1: Yeah. you have to, there's a time for both, but you have to like do a pass that is, for example, I'm about to, when we hang up, I'm gonna do a dialogue pass and just make sure all the lines of dialogue are as really good as they can be. I now have the pieces in the right place. And again, this has been four months. Um, I have the pieces in the same right place and the emotional trajectory is right. Is there some way I can make the dialogue, I've one seen in particular, like can I make the dialogue sparkle a little more. Are there even a couple memorable lines? I w- I'm watching "The Wire with my son. It's my third time. <laughs>
2: um,
1: but I haven't watched it in a long time. That's a great show to watch for dialogue. Um, like they have memor- somehow it's authentic and memorable.
2: Oh, I love it when the writing is great like that. It just gives everyone so much to work with. The actors have so much more to work with. The directors so much more to work with. And it really comes alive.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, uh, yeah, it's amazing. when when And you know when you really got it right.
2: Linda Burson. Thank you for spending some time with me, with us today, with all that you shared. It's so such a privilege to learn from you and sit with you. And thank you. Thank you. And I want you to come back so we can talk more about craft and story and everything. Cause like now I'm all excited on that side too. I'm like, oh, that'll be so
1: great. I'd like to talk about that anytime you want to. Yeah, because that's so important. Yeah,
2: and good luck to all, everybody, uh, all of your students. So Thanks so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. We're lucky to have you.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Entertainment Business Wisdom. We invite you to subscribe, like, review, and share it with your friends and colleagues. Kaya Alexander and Sylvia Franklin can be found on Twitter for your questions and comments. Kaya at This Is Kaya, T H I S I S K A I A, and Sylvia at R tour That's R W R I T E U R. Get career training and a free ebook, How to Pitch Anything in One Minute, at www.entertainmentbusinessleague.com. Thank you.